Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start with breaking news. Wall Street is about to close any minute now. The Dow collapsing around 1,900 points today. Its worst single-day loss ever as an oil price war adds to fears over the coronavirus. The Treasury bond today, the yield, hit an all-time low. The Treasury bond yield is the government's interest rate to borrow money. And to reiterate, the 30-year U.S. Treasury yield fell below 1% for the first time in American history. Also, the oil market had its worst day in almost three decades. And just minutes after opening, the S&P 500 plunged so far, it tripped the so-called circuit breaker, triggering a brief pause in trading. CNN's Allison Kozik is at the New York Stock Exchange now. Allison, Wall Street's been on this 11-year rise. Are we officially starting to see the end of the bull market here? Jake, ironically, this today is the 11th anniversary of the bull market, but we are getting close to the end of that bull market based on where stocks are now about 2% away from a bear market, which would be a 20% drop from a recent high. That's as we close out an historic day here on Wall Street. Much of what you mentioned, uh, those circuit those circuit breakers being uh, activated after stocks fell too far and too fast in the morning, uh, putting uh, investors on the sidelines waiting 15 minutes uh, to begin trading again, where we saw oil prices plunge the most since uh, 1991. That's when the Gulf War was in full force. And that's uh, that's as Saudi Arabia floods the market with oil despite waning demand. And where we saw another red warning sign flash in the bond market, we're seeing yields at record lows. That's because investors are expecting a potential global recession because of the coronavirus. So we've got all of this piling on as we, those worries and those fears and uh, the and, and the uh, you know no one really knows what's going to happen with the coronavirus as far as economies and businesses go, all of that fear weighing uh, weighing on Wall Street, Jake. All right, Allison Kozik, uh, a very very bad day on Wall Street. Let's bring in Austin Goolsby, the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for President Obama. Also with me is CNN Global Economic Analyst uh, Rana Faruhar. Uh, Austin, let me start with you. You tweeted that the markets are more scared now of coronavirus and the oil price war than the days before the 2008 financial crisis. Are are things about to get even worse? Look, I hope not. I tweeted that out when the Treasury, the yield on Treasuries went to the lowest ever. And as you said, even at the height of the financial crisis, there wasn't as much of a flight to safety as we saw there. I think we got to grab our grasp the reality that this virus is going to play havoc on the economic growth, and especially in countries like rich countries like the United States, Italy, and others, where so much of the economy is dominated by these face-to-face services, which are exactly the things that get pulled down when people get afraid. And Rana, you wrote today in the Financial Times, quote, watching the markets these days is like watching the seven stages of grief. 
shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, testing, and finally acceptance. We clearly have not reached that last stage yet. So, so are you suggesting there you see a larger economic downturn on the way? I do. I think that there's a very good chance that we're headed uh, into a U.S. And, and global recession. I mean, we have the perfect storm here because the markets were ready to correct anyway. Look, I've been saying that for months on your show. Um, if it wasn't the coronavirus, it was going to be something else because, frankly, we have an enormous corporate debt bubble out there that was ready to burst. But we now have this decline in travel and tourism. That's responsible for about 10 percent of the global economy. It touches one in every eight jobs in the U.S. in some form or another. Add to that the oil crisis now, plummeting oil prices. Uh, You would think that might have an upside for consumers, but actually what it's going to do is put pressure on some of those debt-ridden companies. You might see uh, those dominoes start to fall, put more pressure on the markets. All of this is affecting people's 401ks. And, you know, the truth is that we have become really addicted in America to asset bubbles to, to fuel growth. That's something I think President Trump has contributed to. Um, and I don't think it's over yet. I think that unless we saw some kind of major fiscal stimulus um, at some point, I think that we're in for a sustained correction and, and a recession. I hope you're wrong, of course, as I'm sure you do as well. Austin, oil prices suffered the biggest drop in nearly 30 years. The president tweeted about the oil crash saying, quote, good for the consumer, gasoline prices coming down, unquote. Um, I I guess uh, that's a silver lining way of looking at it. Low oil prices might be good for consumers in the short term, but potentially uh, obviously much more problematic. Yeah, well, much more problematic because the price of oil is going down precisely because demand is drying up and the economies are all slowing. So the recession, financial crisis and recession of 2007-8-9, oil prices plunged. That wasn't good for the economy. It was a sign that the economy was weak. I think the one, there is one glimmer of optimism for a virus business cycle, let's call it, rather than a normal business cycle, which is, let's say the coronavirus behaves like the flu virus, and it is of a season, and then by the summer, the infection rates go way down. There is the possibility that this thing comes roaring back in a way that is not normal for a for a business cycle that's driven by other things. And, and Ronald, let's, let's let's talk about the travel and tourism industry because it's been yeah. hard, hit hard by coronavirus uh, fears. Airports, train stations, in some spots of the world. We're showing some images now uh, from northern Italy. They're they're virtually empty. Ghost towns. Um, yeah. You see this as one of the heavier dominoes uh, leading to a possible recession. Yeah, if you look at what's driven the global economy over the last several years, travel and tourism has been a huge part of it, and in particular Chinese travel and tourism, which of course has completely dried up. Uh, but this is this is one of the things that has really been a big part of the global growth story. So to have that hit um, and and to affect consumption in such a profound way, I mean, think about it. Nobody's going to be uh, traveling, you know, in early summer vacations uh, or m- many fewer people. That's going to continue to put pressure on the oil market, on the energy market. It all snowballs together. What worries me, and I agree with Austin, there is a there is that silver lining that you could have uh, a big demand surge if the virus were brought under control. That's possible. But are stocks going to go back up? I wonder about that because I think that there's just this d- corporate debt picture out there and we're just beginning to see how those dominoes are going to fall. And if stocks don't go back up, I think you're still going to see consumer spending, which is two thirds of the economy, be pretty low uh, come November. All right. Rana Faruhar and Austin Goolsby, thank you so much. Appreciate it. This is CNN Breaking News. 
Breaking right now, we have some brand new CNN polling on how the American public is responding to the coronavirus pandemic and how Americans feel about President Trump's leadership during this crisis. Let's get right to CNN political director David Chalian. And David, let's start with the coronavirus itself. How do Americans feel about the potential personal impact? Well, we asked, uh, do you think you're going to see people infected in your local community? And look at this, Jake. Add this up. 55%, a majority, say it's very or somewhat likely uh, that they're going to see a local case of coronavirus uh, in their uh, community. Are they prepared for that? If somebody in their family gets sick, we we asked them that as well. And we saw nearly 7 in 10, 68%, if you see when we asked uh, on the next question here, if indeed uh, somebody in their family member gets coronavirus are you prepared? 68% uh, very or somewhat prepared if indeed somebody in their family gets coronavirus. All right. Well, that's some good news, at least in terms of a majority of the Americans feeling prepared. How do Americans uh, think that President Trump and the federal government are dealing with this pandemic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is not a great number for President Trump. You see here his approval rating on handling of coronavirus is 41 percent, 48 percent disapprove. And Jake, I'm sure this won't surprise you, but like everything else in Washington and as it relates to President Trump's standing with the American people, this is driven by partisanship. Take a look here. You see that 79 percent of Republicans approve of the way the president is handling the coronavirus outbreak. 84 percent of Democrats disapprove. Look at this independence number in the middle. That's always a good guidepost. 37% approval among independents for the president's handling of coronavirus. 47% uh, disapproval. He's minus 10 points here uh, with independents. Um, I also want to just show you, we asked whether or not people are confident that the government can prevent uh, a nationwide epidemic A majority are somewhat or very confident. Only 18% say very confident. But add in the 39%, you get to 57%, a pretty decent majority, who are very or somewhat confident that the federal government can prevent a nationwide epidemic here. All right, so confidence in the government, if not in President Trump overall. I'm guessing this is a poll that President Trump won't be tweeting out. But let me ask you, David, this uh, the polls on his handling of coronavirus, pretty negative, a plurality uh, says disapprove. Does that affect President Trump's overall approval rating right now? Take a look. 43% is his overall approval rating. Uh, 53% disapprove. This number basically doesn't budge. Look at it over the last six months. You can see how consistent President Trump is. 43, 43, 43, 42, 41, 39, all within the margin of error here. Uh, This is not yet... Uh, And again, this poll was taken through Saturday night, uh, not yet having an impact on the president's overall approval rating, Jake. And of course, let's look at that number now that we're in an election year and look at where he measures up to his modern day predecessors at this point in the election year, March of the election year. Donald Trump is down here. He's right between George H.W. Bush and Jimmy Carter, not company you want to keep in an election year. You'll note that both of those presidents They only served one term, Jake. Yeah, that's not a good neighborhood. David Chalian, thanks so much. Appreciate it. A live look now at the port of Oakland, where the Grand Princess cruise ship just docked after being trapped at sea for days due to the coronavirus. Passengers are not going home just yet, however. Then, how does self-quarantine work, and do you need to think about doing it? This, plus plus more of your coronavirus questions answered. That's next. Stay with us. In our health lead, a live look now at the Grand Princess cruise ship, which docked in California minutes ago, after being held off the coast for several days with 21 people aboard testing positive for the novel coronavirus. This is the same cruise ship President Trump discussed leaving at sea 
because he, quote, likes the numbers where they are, unquote, and did not want to add to the numbers of infected Americans in the U.S. But now those Americans are back on U.S. soil where the death toll is currently 26 and more than 650 people have tested positive across 35 states plus D.C., as CNN's Nick Watt now reports. Barred from port for five days, at least 21 coronavirus cases on board, the Grand Princess finally pulls in. First of all, there are some children there who are compromised. They want to get them off. Every passenger will be screened, then treated or quarantined at military bases in California and beyond. We may have to stay on the ship for a few more days. Um, It's going to be quite a lengthy process. Meanwhile, off Florida, a sister ship, the Caribbean Princess, now under a no-sail order because two crew members were previously on ships with a positive case. Up in Washington State, where 19 have died at this nursing home and beyond echoes of a nationwide concern that a lack of early testing hurt containment. Debbie de Los Angeles' mother died, says they're still waiting on her test result. They said, well, tests were short. There was a shortage. The nursing home says all remaining residents have now been tested. Colleges and school districts in Washington State, California and New York, among others, closing classrooms. The Empire State now taking the initiative, using prisoners to manufacture up to 100,000 gallons of hand sanitizer a week. Because you can't get it on the market. And when you get it, it's very, very expensive. Last Monday morning, there were 89 confirmed cases in this country. Today, we topped 600. The virus now in more than 30 states. There's still a lot that's unknown about where this is going. Overseas, the picture even worse in Italy, where more than 450 have already died. More than a dozen cities and nearly 16 million people now on lockdown. Those who leave risk three months in jail. A Missouri woman recently returned from Italy is presumed positive. The county health department instructed the patient and her family to self-quarantine. Saturday, her father attended a school event, the county saying they'll obtain a court order to enforce that quarantine if necessary. Here in Oakland, more potential positives now stepping ashore. I feel like the... uh... The government really didn't have a plan and they're just making this up as they go along. And once all of the passengers have been unloaded from the Grand Princess, the crew will take it somewhere out to sea to serve their their quarantine. Exactly where remains unclear. Jake, you mentioned the death toll here in the U.S. now 26. That is because we've just had some more sad news from here in California. A woman in her 60s died. And from up in Washington, a woman in her 70s, another in her 80s, another in her 90s also have succumbed. Interesting to note that the vast majority of people who are dying from this virus are over 70 years old. That's the demographic most at risk. That's the demographic we are seeing hit the hardest. Jake. All right, Nick Watt in California, thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss is Dr. William Schaffner. He's professor of infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Doctor, thanks so much uh, for joining us. So Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, one of the country's top experts, is suggesting those at risk of getting coronavirus should practice social distancing. Take a listen. The ones who get in trouble at a high rate are people with underlying conditions, heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, diabetes, particularly the elderly. If you fall into that category, you shouldn't wait for anything. 
you should be doing what some people are calling social uh, distancing, what really means stay out of crowds, don't do travel, above all, don't go near a cruise ship. All right, so those, those are warnings for people over 60 and people with underlying conditions. What else do our viewers watching right now need to know? I think it's very important, Jake, to do exactly what Tony has said. People who are older and people who have underlying conditions need to look at their lives and say, what is it that we can do to avoid crowds? If you're a religious person, maybe you should be reverent at home and not join the congregation. Go shopping in the off hours, that sort of thing. Uh, don't go to the bridge club right now and sit for hours across the, across the table with a, a variety of different partners. Play virtual bridge at home. Do things that don't take you to crowds. Don't go to that concert. Don't go to that basketball game. Don't get on an airplane. Not right now. Postpone those pleasures. What about a, like a, an eight-year-old with asthma? Is, is that somebody who has an underlying condition who should be kept off of airplanes and out of crowds? Well, fortunately, first of all, the, uh, the coronavirus doesn't affect children nearly as badly as it does adults, particularly older adults. But a child with asthma shouldn't go to uh, maybe a birthday party right now or those sorts of things. They'll be going to school, but avoid unnecessary, not very important events. State governments such as New York, California have asked thousands of residents uh, to separate themselves from the rest of the community to help contain the virus. When should someone self-quarantine? Well, quarantine is very serious. That means lock yourself up away from everybody else. We're not asking that for the average person. Just think carefully about avoiding crowds. Sure, have a couple over for dinner or go out to a nice little restaurant. Very good. But just don't go to the Philharmonic this weekend. A woman in Missouri tested positive for coronavirus and her family was told to self-quarantine. Her dad broke the self-quarantine, went to a father-daughter dance with his other daughter. Can the U.S. really do this by the honor system or does the U.S. government, state governments need to consider doing what they do in Italy, which, which, is, which is actually threatening penalties for people who violate the self-quarantine? Well, people who violate specific quarantine orders can, by the order of local judges, be sent back to quarantine and instructed to stay there. That'll take a judge's order. For the most part, most people are going to try to participate in this to some degree. Look at your own life and see what kind of group events you can avoid. And let's all work together to keep us as healthy as possible. The Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams, told me this weekend that he believes the virus is contained in some parts of the country. It's spreading nationally, but in individual parts of the country, it might be contained. Uh, do you agree with that? Might it be premature to say that? What do you think? No, I agree with the Surgeon General. However, we're rolling out testing. And the next week, week and a half, it will tell the tale. Is this virus actually widely distributed? Do we have positive tests all over? And is it spreading all over or is that still focal? We need lots more testing to tell us exactly where we are at the present time. Dr. William Schaffner, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. A look at how President Trump's alternate reality may be impacting the administration's response to the coronavirus. That's next. 
completely be disabused of it. In our politics lead. He, he does like to argue. Do you remember Listen, in our politics lead today, do you remember a, a week and a half ago at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, when, when President Trump's then chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, you see him there, accused the media of overhyping coronavirus fears in an effort to, quote, bring down the president? Well, it is probably worth pointing out that since then, a CPAC attendee has been quarantined after testing positive for the virus, and at least four Republican members of Congress who attended CPAC are in self-quarantine today after interacting with that attendee. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia, Paul Gozer of Arizona, and Matt Gates of Florida. Gates just five days ago apparently thought it was amusing to tweet a photo of himself voting for coronavirus funding wearing a gas mask. Gates, we should point out, was also just on Air Force One with President Trump this afternoon. And as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, advisors to President Trump are trying to encourage him to stop minimizing the potential problem as his former chief of staff and Matt Gates once did. The number of coronavirus cases in the United States is skyrocketing, but some people close to the president worry he's not taking it seriously enough. In dozens of tweets today, Trump dismissed concerns about the spread and blamed the news media for the plunging stock market. Some advisors fear he's underplaying the potential danger with comments like this, comparing it to the common flu, which experts say is predictable and well-known, while the coronavirus is not. But as Trump downplays the impact of the outbreak, his top health official insists they're taking it seriously. Make no mistake, this is a very serious health problem. Nobody is trying to minimize that. The president spent his weekend conducting business as usual. In between being briefed by the vice president, he spoke at a fundraiser at his Palm Beach club, golfed with Major League Baseball players, and hosted the Brazilian president for a big dinner with friends. Though Trump insists he's not worried about coronavirus coming closer to Washington. No, I'm not concerned at all. No, I'm not. It just did. Three Republican lawmakers are now quarantining themselves after interacting with an attendee at a conservative conference outside Washington who has since tested positive for coronavirus. That happened at the same conference where the former acting White House chief of staff accused the media of exaggerating coronavirus concerns. The reason you're paying so that you're saying so much attention to it today is that they think this is going to be what brings down the president. That's what this is all about. Trump also spoke at the conference, though organizers say he didn't come in contact with the coronavirus patient. The attendee did shake hands with the event's organizer, Matt Schlapp, who was later photographed shaking hands with the president. The president of the United States, as we all know, is uh, quite a hand washer. He uses hand sanitizer all the time, so he's not concerned about this at all. Of course, Jake, there are now several Republican lawmakers who are going to self-quarantine because of they came in contact with this coronavirus patient. Two of those we know have had extensive contact with the president, one being Doug Collins, who was seen shaking the president's hand when he landed in Georgia on Friday to go visit the CDC, then accompanied him on that CDC tour, therefore spending more time with him. And of course, Matt Gates of Florida just flew back with the president on Air Force One and then announced minutes later he is also going to self-quarantine. So there are two members of Congress who interacted with this patient who has coronavirus that also interacted with the president. Yeah, it's a good idea during a pandemic to stop shaking hands with people. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Is the United States healthcare system ready to handle a coronavirus pandemic? One of President Trump's former top health officials joins me next day with us. 
Uh, continuing with the politics lead, President Trump continuing to downplay the threat from coronavirus outbreak and accusing Democrats of exaggerating the situation for political gain. CNN is now classifying the deadly spread as a pandemic. Uh, joining me now to discuss is Dr. David Shulkin. He's the former Veterans Affairs Secretary under President Trump. He also uh, ran some of the largest and most prominent hospital systems uh, in the nation. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Glad so you ran the VA, VA. You ran a major uh, hospital system in the U.S. Is the United States healthcare system ready for a massive influx of, of possible patients uh, with serious medical needs uh, in a way that might be required in a pandemic? Jake, we have one of the most extensive healthcare infrastructures in the world, but you have to be able to know where those resources are. So knowing which hospitals have negative pressure rooms, the Department of Veteran Affairs has a thousand negative pressure rooms, but whether they're going to be accessible What's and a available. Pressure room? Well, that's where if you have a respiratory illness, the air in the room actually doesn't flow out into the hallway to infect staff and other patients, but it stays in the room. Oh, okay. And that's what you need when you need to isolate people, those people that are going to be sick and have to stay in the hospital. I, I see people on Twitter uh, and elsewhere who are, you know, maybe they were at CPAC or at APAC or some other place where this virus uh, has been identified, somebody with it, and they're calling their local healthcare systems and or departments of health and, and being told... Uh, we don't have any tests. We don't know what to tell you. We don't know where to send you. I mean, we're months into this crisis. Yeah. This is really the role of government. Government needs to make sure that people know the answers to their questions and know where to get the tests, know what the symptoms are, know what to do once they're diagnosed. We don't want people rushing to hospital emergency rooms where it's the worst place for them to be because right. they can infect others. And we really want to know where the resources are, what people should do, where they go to find the type of help that's available, because not all hospitals are prepared for this. So I believe the government needs to begin to step up, to begin to answer those questions. How do you get care at home? How do you use telehealth, as an example? Uh, how do you get the right type of treatment, should you be ill? And where do you go and who do you call when you get that help? And unfortunately, we're just not seeing that level of information being supplied right now. And uh, as a former VA secretary, you must be concerned about the spread of this in the U.S. military uh, or at VA hospitals. Well, particularly concerned about our veterans. Many of our veterans now are older. We actually have 350,000 World War II veterans who are very vulnerable uh, in situations like this. So getting the right information, being prepared, making sure that uh, we're doing the right things. In the military, of course, we have people all over the world in close quarters, and the single goal of military health operations is readiness. So this is a very critical issue. So I see them doing many of the right things. They're canceling leaves, making sure that they're doing appropriate screening, something that I think should be done in the broader American mm -hmm. population as well, but making sure that they're on top of this to stay ready should those soldiers be needed. And you said Americans should ignore the politicians on the coronavirus and listen to experts. Um, some politicians have been saying things that we know are false, we try to fact check it as soon as they say them, but they have, you know, huge loudspeakers. Um, they, they, they've said uh, politicians have said that the, the infection rates are going down. That's not true. Uh, they've said that anyone who wants to get a test can get a test. That's not true. Um, what's the impact of all these falsehoods on the American public as they try to get answers? Yeah. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. This is actually our first Google pandemic. This is where there are more people Googling coronavirus than Donald Trump, actually. And now people are getting their information from lots of places that aren't credible because they're not getting the answers that they need. 
And when you don't provide good information or when you provide bad information or no information at all, that's where fear starts. And so I'm seeing people who are stopping their immunosuppressed medications. I'm seeing people delaying chemotherapy. So this can actually be harmful if people aren't getting the right information and they don't believe it. Because in the absence of testing where we have the right type of data to make fact-based decision-making, people are making up their own answers to the questions, and that's leading to panic and fear. It's President Trump that I'm talking about, although I know you might not want to acknowledge that. President Trump tweeted today, So last year, 37,000 Americans died from the common flu. It averages between 27,000 and 70,000 per year. Nothing is shut down. Life and the economy go on. At this moment, there are 546 confirmed cases of coronavirus with 22 deaths. Those numbers have gone up since the tweet. Think about that. Now, he's right on the numbers, but there is a serious difference between the flu and the coronavirus that make this minimizing dangerous. What is the difference? Explain to us. Well, the coronavirus is a special type of virus that has a transmission rate that is pretty incredible. So we're going to see, flu. yes, worse than the flu. And, and deadlier than the flu. And it is deadlier than the flu. So we're going to see more rapid transmission without taking actions. And we're also going to see much worse health consequences, including ultimately deaths. And while you do have deaths with influenza and the numbers are bigger, this is a more virulent type of virus. And so I think we have to take it very seriously. Dr. Shulkin, thank you so much for your expertise. We really appreciate it. Super Tuesday 2, who might the sequel benefit the most? Up next, why for Biden and Sanders? The answer may come down to one state in particular. Stay with us. And we're back with our 2020 lead, Joe Biden, hoping to replicate his Super Tuesday magic tomorrow on Super Tuesday 2 by following a playbook we've definitely seen before. Senators Cory Booker and Kamala Harris joining Biden on the campaign trail in Michigan this evening, just one week after Biden publicly scored the endorsements of three other former competitors, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar and Beto O'Rourke. Let's discuss uh, with our panel. So the big prize, Laura, is Michigan, although there are five other states. Um, Polls have Biden up, but... Polls had Hillary up four years ago, and Senator Sanders won four years ago, so who knows what's going to happen. Right, uh, although I would say that Biden is favored heading into tomorrow. Uh, Michigan has more than 100 delegates, so as you said, it is the big prize. Even though Clinton uh, lost Michigan, she won the black vote in 2016 by some 40%, and Biden is expected to look there for a big chunk of his support. Also, if we look to Super Tuesday's results, he did well with uh, white working class voters. Sanders did. Uh, uh, Biden did in Super Tuesday. Oh, okay, yeah. Across the board, this Super Tuesday. So, okay. So in about eight or nine of the Super Tuesday states, Biden actually beat Sanders with uh, white voters without a college degree, as well as white voters with a college degree. So that could maybe bode well for him going into Michigan. As Biden uh, uh, racks up endorsements, CNN's Harry Enten notes, quote, no candidate has picked up as many endorsements as Biden has in the last week at a comparable week in the last 14 primaries. And the Democratic establishment really is coalescing uh, around Biden. Yeah. And I think it's less about the individual endorsements. I don't know that endorsements uh, matter as much in today's politics as they did decades ago. I mean, I covered a campaign in 2016 where 
uh, then candidate Trump got very few endorsements and it didn't really make a difference. I think the difference here is that it's more about the momentum that that gives. There's obviously a certain narrative around racking up these endorsements day after day after day. And obviously that is giving Joe Biden a huge amount of momentum going forward. Obviously, if he can win Michigan as well, that'll just add to that uh, media narrative and, and add to the, the momentum that Biden has heading into the convention. You know what endorsement, re- <clears throat> what endorsement really did make a difference? Jim Clyburn. Yeah, all these For others Biden, are yeah. trailing along. <laughs> Clyburn in South Carolina that Wednesday. People forget how down and out Biden looked after Nevada, and he had, he had some strength there anyway, obviously, and did okay in the debate that night before. But Clyburn really is most valuable player for the Biden campaign, I would say, in this campaign. Uh, take a listen, Karen, because um, uh, Cory Booker was asked about <clears throat> Senator Sanders' um, argument that the Democratic um, power brokers, the Democratic establishment, uh, pressured. Klobuchar and Buttigieg to, to rally behind uh, Biden, that, that this was the establishment coming home. Here's, here's what Cory Booker had to say. I don't think so. First of all, uh, Bernie's my friend. I have a lot of respect for him and have worked with him uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, I just want us to get beyond uh, pointing fingers at each other, trying to tear each other down. The, the, we can't tolerate that now, right now. That's a tough argument to make during a primary. You can't you can't attack anybody. I mean, how else are you supposed to win a primary? But that's the Biden Booker message, which is time for us to come together to Uncle Joe. Well, you can you can make attacks. You can draw contrast. But you don't have to keep telling the church ladies, for God's sakes, that they are establishment evil ganging up because that I will tell you, I've mentioned this after South Carolina. I'm still hearing it. People rank and file Democrats who knock on the doors and do all the work in between. They're sick and tired of it. And people feel scared. I mean, the dynamics of 2020 are very different than 2016. People are afraid. They want to beat Trump. And I think people feel less like we're going to coalesce into some big, scary establishment and more into we're going to come together around a nominee that we think can beat Trump so that we can move this country forward. I I don't think people feel as much of the... Uh, take down the establishment sentiment that they might have in 2016, because now, I mean, particularly if you are low income, if you are a person of color, you don't have the slack to screw this up. Well, that's the argument uh, from the Biden campaign and that a lot of people who support Biden are making. Uh, Senator Sanders has an argument to a lot of people in Michigan. Here's an ad he's running going after Biden for some of the trade deals that Biden has supported uh, over his 45 year career. Take a listen. Bernie Sanders has consistently fought job-killing trade deals. And Joe Biden, he supported NAFTA and every other bad trade agreement. With a record like that, we can't trust him to protect American jobs or defeat Donald Trump. Now, this is what Sanders said to me when I asked him over the weekend, uh, do you think that Joe Biden can't beat uh, President Trump in these industrial Midwest states because of his support for those trade deals? And Sanders basically said, I think he can beat him, but I think we need to have a stronger contrast. Yeah. And so this is was was a deliberate shift for Sanders campaign was to attack Biden here to attack Biden more aggressively on Social Security with these ads, because up until this point, they hadn't been purchasing negative ad buys. Fact based attacks, we should point out. Right. They're they're accurate. Yes, they are. And so, uh, though, to the point that we were making earlier, Congressman Khanna, who is a co-chair of Sanders campaign, did say that he thinks Sanders should be a bit more specific when he's making those attacks against the establishment, meaning that he should specify that it's against special interests. It's against uh, pharmaceutical industry. It's against the insurance industry and not that it's necessarily against the Democratic Party writ large, acknowledging that the party has been a force 
leaders to help battle Jim Crow, to help ba- uh, work along this with civil rights leaders. So Kana, one of Sanders' surrogates, thinks that the campaign needs to shift the message slightly. Later. Although we should point out in 2016 when he was attacking Hillary Clinton for being part of the Democratic establishment, he was, Senator Sanders also talked about uh, Planned Parenthood and the human rights campaign, the, the pro-LGBT group, right. uh, as part of the establishment. In our 2020 lead today, six states are up for grabs in tomorrow's Democratic primaries, and all eyes are on Michigan. That's a state Senator Bernie Sanders won in an upset in 2016, but brand new polls out today have former Vice President Joe Biden leading in Michigan as the clear frontrunner after last week's Super Tuesday. Could Michigan be Bernie Sanders' last stand? CNN's Vanessa Yurkiewicz reports from Detroit. Health care is important to all of us. We met John Hatline in this exact spot six months ago on strike against General Motors in Detroit, fighting to keep his union paid health insurance. On Tuesday, he's voting for the candidate who could take it away. My vote's going for Bernie here in Michigan. I'm hoping that Bernie Sanders will have as good as health insurance that I have for the whole country. The union vote, crucial here in Michigan, nearly 600,000 members strong. Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton in 2016 with their help. But now Joe Biden is fighting to bring them to his side. As president. President Trump won Michigan by a razor-thin margin in 2016 with the help of Macomb County, a white working-class suburb that voted for President Obama twice, then Trump. The fight isn't over. At a Sunday brunch here, Elizabeth Warren's supporters now looking for another choice. I'm leaning towards Joe Biden right now. Some would say that Bernie Sanders actually aligns more with Elizabeth Warren's platforms. Yes, um... In this, you know, somebody he does. Fellow Warren supporter Rhonda Warner is also voting for Biden. I think Joe Biden's experience and the support from other Democrats that I know he will need to get policy passed makes him the choice for me. Burt's Marketplace in downtown Detroit has been a staple in the African-American community for decades. A picture of the Obamas hangs inside. For voters here, Tuesday's election is another critical moment. I'm feeling like my life depends on We're praying like hell that uh, Vice President Biden is the nominee. Is he just automatically a shoe-in with the African-American community? No. no. Latrice Murphy is leaning towards Sanders. Bernie Sanders was marching beside Martin Luther King, so I feel that he could get the African-American vote because he was basically down in the trenches with us. No matter who voters are supporting on Tuesday, one thing the voters we spoke to said that they could all agree on is that they would support the Democratic nominee no matter who it is, because their number one priority, Jake, is beating Donald Trump come November. Jake. Vanessa Yurkiewicz in Detroit, Michigan, before the Michigan primary. Thanks so much. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. Tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage continues on CNN right now. Thanks for watching.
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.